We saw a lot of close one-goal games. There were some OT thrillers, including one that didn't seem like it was going to end. We saw an upset. We saw past cup winners pushed to the brink of elimination, and some of them didn't survive. Round one overall was pretty fun, but what does round two have in store? Episode 233 of the Lace Em Up podcast starts right now. It's time to lace them up. Here's Brett and Steve. And welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Steve Ellsworth. I'm Brett Duboff. Uh, before we get to the show underway, uh, some very sad news, uh, Brett. Dale Howardchuck uh, passed away after a courageous battle with cancer. Yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, it's always sad news whenever a legend like that dies and stuff. I mean, obviously it's... Well, not obviously, but it's always like a somber event and stuff. But what makes this even worse is the fact that we have this whole like pandemic right now. So everyone's in their house and they can't go to his funeral. But um, I did enjoy like hearing all these like podcast commemorations of him and all these articles about him. And, and he kind of got a sense of um, who he was as a person. Like he seems to be like a mentor to a lot of the guys in the 90s and, and all that stuff. So um, for those that don't know, I guess we can sort of do something here. But like, you know, he, he was he died when he was 57 years old. That's way too young for a person. Yeah, um, and, and he was yeah. battling cancer. Um, he left his gig with the Barry Colts as head coach mm-hmm. uh, before the start of 2019-20 because of this battle with stomach cancer yeah. and it looked like he was doing pretty well and his his son was was talking about eric howard chuck i believe yeah. um and ben howard chuck his his other son uh he coached with the barry he he was playing for the barry colts and dale was his coach yeah um but uh, eric was talking about his dad and his battle with cancer on august 14th the jets uh, twitter account posted it that was four days before it was announced that Dale had died. So that's how sudden it was. Yeah. Um, so in terms of his career, he was a very good player. But the thing was is, well, first off, he played for four teams in his career. Um, most notably, uh, nine, his first nine seasons were in Winnipeg. Um, and that was just the entirety of the 80s um, yeah. for him. And, like, he pretty consistently put up 90-plus points, a lot in the 100s even. Although that was, like, commonplace now um, back in the 80s. But even still, uh, when you rank all the guys in the 80s from 1980 to 1989, um, Dale Howardchuck ranked 7th in points and 10th in goals. And I think in assists, he's in the top... I want to say 20. Um, I can double check that. But um, but the other thing that we noticed, oh, he was in, he was ninth in assist um, in, uh, in, in the 80s. So he was one of the best ones. But the thing that a lot of people were talking about when I kept on, you know, when I was listening to all these other hockey podcasts about him is like he was 
because there was Gretzky, because there was Messier, because there was Mario, because there was, like, you know, Coffee, all these guys, Curry, Bork, um, like, those guys were all on teams um, that had a lot of, you know, media attention. But he did this all in Winnipeg, so it don't like, and I heard one of the, one of the podcast people kind of say like it felt like this Dale Howarchek was almost like a urban legend of sorts because you heard he was phenomenal and and a like one of the best players in the league, but you never got to see him because he played in Winnipeg, and um, they didn't get as much TV attention back then. Um, and this was back in the day when, like, you didn't really have a choice on what games you can watch other than your local teams. So, um, so yeah, this was uh, definitely one of those things where it's, like, I think I've heard the name before, but I never actually, like, dove deep into his uh, history. And then when I do, I'm just like, oh, my God, like, why weren't we talking more about him? Because he was a phenomenal player. Um and then he played, uh, so after Winnipeg, he played um, a lot of, um, he played five years in Buffalo, um, then he played a bit in St. Louis for 67 games, and then he played in, um, in Philly for two more seasons. Uh, so he had like a 20-year career almost, um, sorry, 17-year uh, career, um, and yeah, he would. He he'll be up there as one of the best, uh, w one of the best players to to do it. So, um, it's just a sad time right now. Mm -hmm. And and you know, hockey royalty in Winnipeg. Like outside of Timu Solani, mm -hmm. probably the player they talk about the most in Winnipeg, and that's most revered is uh, Dale Howardchuk. Yeah. And like even before he came to Winnipeg, it just seemed everywhere he went, he was making a positive impact. Um, the Cornwall Royals. Uh, no longer exists, but back in the day, um, they they weren't really doing well before Dale Howardchuck arrived there. And then first season, he just, boom, just wins, like, Rookie of the Year. Yep. They go to the league championship. They win that. They go to the Memorial Cup. They win that. The next year, they do it all again. Yeah. So before the Windsor Spitfires, led by Taylor Hall and company, uh, won back-to-back -back Memorial Cup titles, the Cornwall Royals. Uh, were one of the first to do it. Yeah. And uh, then you fast forward, um, after his hockey playing games are done, he uh, coaches the Barry Colts in the OHL for nine years. Six of the nine years, he coaches the team to a playoff berth, uh, and he developed a lot of popular names that you hear about in the NHL today, most notably Mark Scheifele, yeah. Andre Svechnikov, he coached him for a year, Tanner Pearson, Aaron Ekblad, Andreas Anthonisiu, Andrew Mangiapane, Rasmus Anderson, Kevin LeBanc, Brendan Lemieux, uh, Mackenzie Blackwood, and yeah. uh, wow. his son, Ben Havrachuk. Um, and just a great hockey player, great person, great family man, just a great, great guy all around. And at everything he, he did, and this battle against cancer, um, just everyone was so admired by how he approached it, how he fought it. And yeah. unfortunate he didn't win it, and unfortunate that um, he's no longer with us. But um, we'll always have plenty of positive memories to look back on, and that's yeah. great. For sure. Um, okay. Um, 
so yeah, thoughts that go out to everyone who knew him personally, his fam- friends and his family, obviously. Um, and yeah, it's a sad time whenever one of these legends die. But um, yeah, he was a great player. Um, okay, uh, so also I just noticed that he was the first overall pick in 1981. Yeah. Um, so that's that's another thing too. Um, okay, so, uh, so pretty much all the, the second round has been, uh, set. We have eight teams all in the second round. Um, and also I guess we should note that by the time you're listening to this, Dallas and Colorado already played on Saturday. Um, so we're recording that now and we're recording this before the Vegas Vancouver game and the Boston Tampa game. So just keep that in mind. Um, and then, um, but now we're going to talk about the eight teams that were eliminated this week. Uh, That's Montreal, Columbus, Washington, Carolina, Chicago, Arizona, Calgary, and St. Louis. Um, I don't want (laughs) to go over all eight teams like we did the last preview, but, um, I do want to, I'll just throw this out here, but. Um, so we do want to discuss on what teams are in good shape and what teams for the future and what teams are not. Um, I think, well, for, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about Todd Reardon being fired in a second, um, and Washington and what they're going to do with Holtby. Um, I, I feel like, um, I feel like Montreal is in good shape, um, Carolina as well. And Calgary, even um, those of uh, those are the ones that stand out to me because they're still like a young team that um, you know that needed that playoff experience. And for Montreal's case, they wouldn't have made the playoffs anyways. Um, so they kind of get that feeling of it before they actually like are seriously actually going to be serious contenders in this league. So. Um, especially like Suzuki and Kotkin and Yemi um, were phenomenal. I think they like attributed to like twenty five percent of their their uh, goals this uh, this round and stuff. And like getting anything past Carter Hart is um, is is quite the feat. So um, mm-hmm. they have a bright future ahead of them. Unfortunately for me, but um, <laughs> I think I think they'll they'll be good in a couple of years, especially if Caulfield. Um, pans out like I think we are all expecting him to. Um, Romanov as well. They also have him on the way. Yeah, Romanov's another one. Yeah, Paling and um, even like Caden Primu. Uh, he could help yeah. uh, carry Price a lot by giving him mm-hmm. rest and stuff. So um, that would be interesting too. Um, and then, yeah, Carolina, unfortunately, they were like Sveshnikov, um, that injury. Uh, didn't help matters. However, I don't know if Carolina would have even won, even if Sveshnikov was healthy. It obviously didn't help, but at the same time, it's like uh, Tuka Rask left in the middle of that series. Pasternak wasn't there either, and Carolina still lost even without Sveshnikov. So that shows how important Sveshnikov was to the team. Um, But you can also make the case that James Morazic and uh, James Morazic, James Reimer and Peter Morazic, uh, 
aren't necessarily the greatest goalies. And I mean, yeah, they're serviceable, um, but it, it does show that th- maybe they're not as good as we all thought they were. Um, and um, yeah, so so I wonder what they're going to do in the offseason to address that because um, I feel like they, I'm not sure if Mrazek or James Reimer are legitimate uh, starting goaltenders in this league. Um, I do know that they have Nadelkovich in the system and all that stuff. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. Um, and, yeah, I think, like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, and then I guess I'll talk about, I mean, I do want to talk about a lot of these teams, actually. But <laughs> um, I will also, I'll bring it to you after I talk about Washington, because Todd Reardon's out. Um, as coach, this is official now. Um, I'm not sure. I'm, I know Bruce Boudreau is still available. I wonder if they bring him back. That would be kind of funny. There's also uh, Gerard Gallant. Gerard Gallant's another Lavi one. Lavi yeah. Laviolette's another one. That would be interesting for Laviolette there because he's he already coached Philly. Um, so you'd just be back in the Metro. Um, also coached the Islanders once upon a time. That's right, too. I forgot about that. Um, so. So yeah, that would be that would be interesting, Laviolette. But I wonder if I feel like one of those two are just waiting for the like what's going to happen with that Seattle position. Um, so so maybe they're they're waiting for that. But Galant would probably be my main guy that I would want if I were Washington. Um, yeah, so I'll I'll take it to you. I feel like I'm talking too much right now. Yeah. Well. Um... I don't know what it was with the Washington Capitals. We'll stick on this tangent, but it looked sure. like they were missing something. Didn't look anything like themselves. I mean, Carolina last year was one thing. You, you take them to game seven, um, you lose in double overtime. Carolina was a good team. But at the same time, they had a 2 nothing series lead on the Hurricanes, and they let it slip away. Um, and, yeah, this series was close. There were a lot of one-goal games, but – how can the Capitals score the game's first goal in each of the first three games and lose all three games? And yeah. so I I was curious, uh, how do their big stars do? And I looked up and down their lineup. Alex Ovechkin, 30 shots, led the team, four goals, one assist. Not bad. Because uh, Nets off, five points in eight games. Decent stat line. Uh, TJ Oshie, three goals in eight games. Minus seven, though. Uh, Gudis chipping in with two assists in just five appearances. Pretty good. Stepped it up, I would say. Um, Tom Wilson takes a couple of bad penalties in that Islanders series, but still gets three points in eight games. Uh, this really puzzled me. John Carlson led the team in scoring with six assists in five games. Minus 11. He is their leading scorer. And he is a minus 11. Yeah. And then you look at their depth guys. Chuck, one assist in eight games. Jacob Verano, remember when I said, can't go goalless again? Mm-hmm. Well, he did. Goalless in eight games this year, no points on the board. Richard Panic, one point. Lars Eller, one point. Nicholas Backstrom, not 100%, only got one assist. Yeah. There, there had to be change. There's no question about it. And I honestly don't know what to think of the Capitals. Maybe the next head coach is able to rekindle that fire and they can get back to their winning ways. But you can't deny the fact that in the two years since Todd Reardon has been head coach of the Capitals, and it won't be any more than two years because, as you mentioned, he's gone, 
Um, the Capitals are four, four and eight with this. They have lost both series they've played in, so they're 0 2, haven't advanced past the first round. And the guy they said bye to has reached the second round in each of the past two years. Yeah. With a team not nearly as star started as the Washington Capitals on paper. So, um, you tell me who won that trade off. Uh, <laughs> as for the Hurricanes, I think they're in good hands. This is one of those series where, again, you look back on it and say they need to lose this series so they could learn how to win. Right. And that third period collapse in game four definitely hurt. That mm. post-game comments um, from Rod Brandemore definitely hurt. It hurt because it was true. But they played well in game five. Again, a lot of one-goal losses, so it's yeah. not like they got spanked by the Bruins. Um, not every team that goes to the conference finals is going to get back there as quick as they do. In fact, we've seen defending Stanley Cup champions get bounced in the first round the following year. Uh, we yeah. saw it happen to the Bruins at the hands of the Capitals uh, in twenty eight in twenty twelve. It was so we saw it happen today. <laughs> this, yeah, this round. Yeah. This year with St. Louis, first round. Yeah. Uh, spoiler alert. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but but yeah. Um, this is a young team. You you look at their stat lines. Justin Williams only had one goal, but he led the team with 18 shots. Niederreiter only one goal, but ranked second on the team with 17 shots. Uh, only two assists for Trocheck, but he had 16 shots. Finished third on the team. You look at their defense: 14 shots from uh, from Dougie Hamilton, 16 shots from Joel Edmondson of all people. Aiden Fleury, 14 shots. Jacob Slavin, 13 shots. Brady Shea, 12 shots. Sammy Batten, 10 shots. Eventually, when you put the puck on net, you're going to get rewarded. If they continue to put the puck on net, good things will happen. They'll get better every year. And, you know, outside of, you know, a few changes here and there, you look at guys like Spachnikov, Sebastian Ajo, um, Tibu Teravainen, Martin Nakash. They have enough depth. And they're going to learn from this, and they're going to get better. Um, and, and like you said, Brett Montreal is is definitely another team that I think looks in pretty good shape. Um, Kakani, I mean, Suzuki both play well. I like the character that Columbus showed as well. Um, and the way Corpusel play was just unreal. Things are definitely looking up for them. Um, and and even even Chicago. You look at uh, what Dominic Kubelik was able to do, what Curry yeah. Doc was able to do. Corey Crawford is not only healthy, but he's looking like the old Corey Crawford again, which is great. Yeah. yeah so uh, there, there are a lot of positives for sure. Yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. Chicago's another one. CBJ is another one too, where they um, they were able to like str- string some some games along and and be competitive still. Um, yeah. The in defense for the wa- I just have two points and then we'll go on. Um, in defense of the Capitals, they didn't have backstrom for that entire series, um, and then they also didn't have Samsonov for the entire bubble time that yeah, they that had. Yeah, that definitely hurt them too. So that that definitely hurt them, and I I wonder what would this team be like if they did have a better goaltending. And now I, I'm curious about what like what's going to happen with Holt because he's going to be a pending UFA this year. Um, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like some team's going to give him the Bobrovsky treatment and pay, overpay for him 
because of his past performance, but um, but at the same time, it's like I'm not sure if that's going to be a smart move in the long run um, if you do give him more than than Bobrovsky. Um, but if that is a comparable, I guess you can say that. And Brian Olby does have a cup, um, unlike Bobrovsky. So I know yeah. I know that um, Mark Bergman said he, he wanted to, to get some goalie help for Gary Price. Uh, they're yeah. already paying Gary Price ten million. I don't think they should be paying Brian Olby even like well, six to play backup for him. Yeah, I mean we're about to talk about them in uh, in a couple of. I mean, not a couple of minutes, but <laughs> a little bit to go. But I feel like Robin Leonard and Jacob Markstrom should be the the most sought after goaltending for, in terms of pending UFAs. But they're more yeah. likely to stay with Vegas and Vancouver, respectively, um, just because. I, I'm thinking they have Udobin, though. And yeah, Kudobin's another one too. Be a decent pickup. Yeah, Kudobin's another one. That's that's true. Um, uh, yeah, he would be a nice pickup for sure. Um, and then as and the other team that I wanted to mention before we get going on these previews, uh, the St. Louis Blues. Um, <laughs> there was a lot to make. Like, it seemed like after game, I think they won in game, uh, I think they won a couple of well, their games. Well, they were down, they were down yeah. the series two games to none. There was a back-to-back yeah. in game three and four where you figure if they lose one, they're yeah. really in trouble. That was, they win both. Yeah. With Jake Allen, and then they're up three to one in game right. five, and That's all right. of a sudden things change. Yeah, like they win game three and game four, and then you're like, okay, so it looks like they're back in it, and this is going to be a, a tight series, but a fun one, and this could go seven, which is what I was predicting. And then all of a sudden, both goalies imploded um, Allen in game six, and then uh, Bennington in game seven. Uh, not sorry, uh, in game five and then in game six. Yeah, by the um, way, Craig yeah. Berube said we'll be back for a game seven. Look how that turned out. Yeah, exactly. So I had I had thought that, like, okay, this, this means that the Blues, like, I had thought that this would be something. I don't take too much into this. I know that a lot of people on Twitter were making fun of Bennington's poor playoff performance. He had, like, a <laughs> get this, his... He was putting Martin Jones type numbers in in the bubble. He had uh, in five games, of course, he had a four point seven two GAA and a save percentage of eight fifty one. Uh, so yeah, that's not good. <laughs> um, but I wouldn't take too much into that because uh, he did have a decent regular season. Um, of course, uh, Jake Allen was was pretty good in the in the playoffs as well. But I don't think it's going to affect too much about them um, in the regular season, but I don't think we're expecting what Bennington was in the regular season and stuff, but um, I think there was like a lot of like personality stuff like when he lost the Calder last year, he kind of um, he, he made it seem like he was just being sour about it and like he had that like line last year about if he, if he looked nervous in the playoffs and he you know, I guess he wasn't, but, like, he talked the talk, but still, it's like, as a Bruins fan, it's like, yeah, it was nice that uh, the Blues got eliminated before the Bruins this time, but at the same time, I'm just like, why couldn't Bennington have sucked last year? Just, 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 you could have sucked last year, that's all I'm saying. It's just, I'm like, I'm even more bitter than that we lost that um, now, because, like, 
For the sh- the Blackhawks, I I wasn't as bad because I was like, yeah, the Blackhawks played better, and and all that stuff, and and like they had already won a cup before, so you can just make the case that they're like, okay, they're they're a pretty good team, um, but like you know the Blues, it's like, Bennington, you just didn't <laughs> didn't perform, so I don't know what to think of him now, but I think he'll he'll be he'll be back. Um, but maybe not as good as what we had been expecting him. Like he's like an I'll I'll say he's going to be an average goaltender from now on. Um, not not bad enough to be like uh, a backup in this league, but not good enough to be like considered one of the best goalies in the league. So, um, so that's where I see him. Um, yeah, at this point. Well, and it's also a contract year that he's going to yeah. be going into as well. So I think you're going to have a very chip True. on his shoulder, Jordan Bennington, and that's I, I think that's um, what gave him that edge last year is that no one was expecting him to do much of anything, and he proved them all wrong. And sure, his goals against average was over four, and he wasn't at his best the entire time. However, in the Colorado game, in the Vegas game, in the round robin, he showed flashes of brilliance, yeah. and so did Jake Allen in games three and four. He did too. So did most of the guys on that team, like Ryan O'Reilly. But they couldn't sustain it. They had chances to take control against the Canucks in game five, as well as other parts of the series. They let those chances slip away. In the first half of game six, they didn't look good. It cost them. Ryan O'Reilly said flat out, this isn't all on, on Bennington. We didn't play good in front of him, and he was embarrassed at how they played in front of him. And I think the Blues as a team was just used to facing elimination. They're just like, oh, we're, we're going to come back from this just like we did the last couple of times. Jordan Bennington's not going to win every single elimination game, and neither are you. Yeah. Neither are you as a team. So I think they were just reminded that you're not going to win all the time, and you need to go back to the drawing board and change some things. Um, so with that being said, I could understand why Craig Berube went back to Bennington because of his record in elimination games. Yeah. Um, you know, when your season's on the line, you you go with the guy that time and time again is delivered, and in recent memory was Bennington. The one thing that I am fearing of as a Blues fan is how Doug Armstrong is going to react to this. Because what happens from here to January is out of Berube's control. It's all on Doug Armstrong. I said yeah. the Blues were going to rue the day they got rid of David Backus, and immediately, um, I was pro- I was probably wrong in the long term, but immediately, the lack of the leadership presence kind of hurt. Yeah, and um, it cost them a playoff spot. I'm pretty sure that season too, or um, their their play certainly suffered uh, a little bit because Backus wasn't there. It is going to be a much worse decline if Petrangelo goes. And I heard his comment after game six when asked about his future with the Blues, and he says, I'm not going to answer that. We'll find out soon. That does not give me good vibes at all. No, that does not. No, I didn't know he said that. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I do not like the sound of that. Like, yeah, sure, Scott Perinovich might have a potential to be a solid defenseman for the Blues. Yeah, Colton Pareko might be a good defenseman. Yeah, you gave Justin Folk a good amount of money, and if you put him in the right role, he could deliver. Petrangelo is their best complete defenseman. They don't have 
they probably will never have Jay Bonister again after that unfortunate incident in Anaheim um, before the pandemic, obviously. Right. Um, if they lose Petrangelo, I don't know how the Blues could recover from that. That could be catastrophic for them. Yeah, that's not great. I don't understand why they signed Justin Falk and Marco Scandella to long-term yeah. deals. Scandella is the big yeah. one, too. Especially that's the biggest one. Especially when you have Pietrangelo and Vince Dunn both being pending free, free agents this year. It just doesn't make yeah. sense to me. Yeah, like, like, like Scandella's one of the last guys. Yeah. Scandella's one of the last guys you signed. Yeah. The fact they signed him over Pietrangelo, that was a big red flag for yeah, at yeah. the time, and even more so now. Yeah, it's just, it's a weird, it's a weird situation for them. To a four-year extension, too. Not just one, four years. Okay. And then last thought before I, uh, we go to matchups now, finally. Um, (laughs) I do, I, I I just want to reiterate from the Carolina point, because I don't think I, I may not have made myself clear. That could have swung the other way, uh, for Carolina, that series. Um, because all games were, all the games were, like, one- one goal games, um, you know, one goal lead game. So uh, it could have gone either way for both of them, um, for either team. So I just wanted to get that out of the way. Um, it's I not like I'm discrediting them. the Carolina Hurricanes. They their their future is bright. They'll be back. I'm just concerned about their goaltending. Is is the main one that I'm focusing on. The one I would also um, like to add before we go to the matchups, just a quick point about the Arizona Coyotes. Obviously, Baylor Hall is the big thing that everyone's going to focus on. Elliot Friedman says he's being told to watch out for Oliver Ekman Larson's future. Considering he signed an eight-year extension to stay in Arizona not too long ago, um, I don't think they're going to give him a bigger raise. Yeah. So, hearing that, I'm just thinking, oh boy, I really hope Arizona doesn't self-destruct like they have they behind the scenes. I really hope it's not one of those horrific off-seasons. I really hope they continue to take steps forward. They did a lot. They made a lot of progress this year. It would be a shame if it blew up in their face. Yeah, they might. Um, however, it's like, you know, I was looking at their contract, their cap situation the other day. Like, they have Nick Schmaltz, Christian Dvorak, uh, Clayton Keller, all having long-term uh, long-term contracts. I mean, yeah, for Christian Dvorak, Nick Schmaltz is not too bad at $4 million or $5 million. But still, it's like, you have to be better than that. So, um, and an interim yeah. GM because their GM quit before the playoffs started. Exactly. So that's the other thing where you're just like, I don't know. Um, and... As for OEL, he has a, a no-movement clause, and he's being paid one eight point two. so I don't know if it's going to be a, even a trade, um, if it's that, because it's like, you don't, like, who's going to take on that contract? Um, so, I don't know. Um, I'll take it on more than Eric Carlson's and Drew Doughty's. True, but he's like a 29-year-old. He was the same age as when Eric Carlson got traded, so it's yeah. like, I don't know, it's... Like, are you really going to take any... And OEL also has injury history, too. So it's like, it's basically another Eric Carlson-type situation. So, um, yeah, um, we'll see. Anyways, we're 30 minutes in. <laughs> we, haven't, <laughs> we haven't even talked about the, the first matchup yet. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's get going here. 
Uh, so the first matchup on the docket here is the Philadelphia Flyers and the uh, New York Islanders. I expect this series to be kind of a um, a bit of a a what you might call it a low scoring uh, series because Varlamov and Carter Hart have both been phenomenal this year. Although I guess Carter like Carter Hart was struggling. A little bit against Montreal, um, but at the same time he has a 9.43 save percentage, 1.71 GAA. That's something that you don't really want to compete with. Um, but like the problem with the Flyers was, aside from Jacob Voracek and Kevin Hayes, none of them, none of the other guys were even really scoring or doing anything. Um, so it's like Sean Couturier, you can you can do better. I mean Ivan Provorov had shown his moments, and uh, Claude Giroux also did too, but um, it's like, if, if the Flyers want to go even further than they have before, the, the offense needs to pick it up now um, and, and get going. So, so yeah, there, there was that. Um, and also, I mean, it seems like Carter Hart is just willing them into uh, the conference finals if this happens. Um, as for the Islanders, um, yeah, like I mentioned, Samin Lamov has also been fantastic. Uh, 9.34 save percentage and a GAA of 1.67. Um, and then Josh Bailey's been really good too. Uh, 10 points. But Anthony Pavillier um, has also been great too. I think he had like two goals in the elimination game that eliminated the um, the the Capitals and, and all that stuff. So, um, as for a prediction, I'm going to say, um, uh, I'm going to say Flyers and six. Flyers and six games. Okay. Okay. I don't know if you guys can hear this, but, or Steve, you can hear this, but it's now raining outside my, oh. my window. So, if, if anyone, if, if this some, if my pot, if my microphone somehow gets that, that's what it is. It's it's raining outside pretty bad. All right. Anyways, what are you, what are your thoughts on the series? I will also say on a side note, uh, we're expecting rain in Ottawa, so okay. um, it's crappy weather all around. Um, yeah, this series, uh, interesting. This will be the fifth time these two teams have squared off in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mm. And uh, the winner of the prior four series has kept a scary thing going. Uh, Philly defeated the Islanders in 1975, 1985, and 1987. They won the Cup in 75 and 95 and 85 and 87, rather. They made it to the finals and probably would have won if not for Wayne Gretzky and the Edmonton Oilers. Um, the one time the Islanders won the Stanley Cup, was uh, 1980, the first time ever uh, they won the Stanley Cup. And in the finals, they beat the Philadelphia Flyers, the only time they've beaten the Flyers in the playoff series. So um, maybe the trend continues, and the winner of this series is the winner representing the Eastern Conference. Uh, so we'll see. Um, you, you mentioned about uh, Philly's offense. Um, they, they have depth. That's the one good thing they have. Uh, Connor Bonneman. Only appeared in four games since the NHL resumed. JVR has played in six. Justin Braun has appeared in nine. Matt Niskanen suspended one game for a cross-check to Brendan Gallagher's jaw, but has been able to suit up for eight other games. 
those are the only guys without a point in the 2020 playoffs for the Flyers. Uh, Voracek has four goals and four assists for a total of eight points. That leaves the team. Kevin Hayes making me eat my words already with seven points in nine games. <laughs> I told you. Uh, Sean Couturier has five assists and no goals, but in the faceoff dot, he's won 59% of his draws. That's very, very good. Yeah. Uh, Scott Lawton has three goals and two assists, but has only averaged 14 minutes and 22 seconds per game. That's efficient goal scoring right there. And he's only taken 11 shots in the playoffs. When you score on three of those, that's a pretty good shooting percentage. Uh, Michael Raffle, nine shots over five games, but on three of those nine shots, he scored. And he has added an assist for a total of four points. And you also have Joel Farabee with four points, Ivan Provorov with four points, Travis Konechny, who led the team in scoring, uh, has three points over his first nine games. So once this team fires on all cylinders, um, this is where um, you start to think, okay, we might have our hands full here. So they can score by committee. But as you mentioned, Brett, so can the Islanders. You have guys like Andrews Lee, Anthony Beauvillier um, taking the league by storm as well. J.G. Pajot, former senator, killing it. Uh, Brock Nelson doing well. Matt Barzell doing well. They have identical stat lines of three goals and four assists. Um, I think coaching is going to be a big, big uh, question mark in this playoff series. And I think who wins the coaching battle between Alain Vigneault and Barry Trotz is probably going to get the upper hand. I can see either side winning. Uh, If the Flyers are pushed to the brink of elimination, that's where I really start to worry because in – the uh, series closer against Florida and the series closer against Washington, the um, the opposition team, wherever the Islanders were playing, they didn't even get 25 shots on goal, and the block and uh, the Islanders blocked at least 30 shots. Wow. So if they get you into a corner, they will take care of business. And at that point, if if Philly loses three games, that's why I generally start to get worried, especially if they go down 3 nothing, They can't have that happen to them. But I'm not expecting that to happen. I'm expecting Philly to win this series. I think it will take seven games, though. Yeah, I um, I see. So, so we're more – I guess it's different than what we had before. Yeah, I think it'll take one more game for this series to end, but uh, we both predict Philly's going to win. We both predict Philly. Okay. I won't be shocked if the Islanders win. Yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, same. I mean, I think Barry Trotz is probably one of the best coaches in the league. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I wouldn't sur- surprise me if, if they do it. I feel like the like to me the Islanders are just such a boring team. Like they don't have too much star power, so it's just like it's not as exciting to watch them. But but they have an identity. But, but yeah, sometimes they, that's all you need. Yeah, they're basically. I'm trying to think of a good equivalent. They're basically the devils of yeah. um, the 2000s. Like, you, we all know that they're a good team. They're just not as that exciting to watch. Um, all right. Lula Morello knows a thing or two about those devils because he was yeah. the GM at the time. That's a good. That's a good point. <laughs> um, yeah, he gets the job done even if they're not as exciting. Um, yeah. So let's go on to the. Bruins and the Lightning here. Um, so I'll I, let you go first because yeah. this is your team. Yeah, no, I was about. I I'll let you go first for the Western Conference stuff. I realized yeah, I, yeah. I messed this up. <laughs> That's fair. Um, so yeah, for the Bruins, um, as I mean, we did mention that before. I think, um, 
like I think before like during the round robins I was I was actually legitimately nervous about this team because I was like okay we lost all our games in the round robin uh, we got fourth what are they doing like like they even admitted that they weren't even um, going to like you know that they thought of it as like a preseason game which is fine but then yeah you were like, pretty worried last week yeah you? i was and i was thinking like okay the, but like carolina's a pretty serious yeah. team and you can't just like pretend that those games are regular season games and then like after tuka's comments i was even more worried because i was like i was calling carolina like i was just saying like okay i think carolina is gonna win this because if tuka's not in it like <laughs> Good luck on that, and then yeah, and then all that stuff. Yeah, like yep. a prediction is spoiled. Carolina's not even making exactly. it past the first round. And uh, yeah, right. And um, and then I was proven wrong. Um, Halak, I mean Halak, gave up a few um, goals that he should have had at, at, in game three, but then Jake DeBrus came in, um, and like. The Krejci, DeBrusque, and Cache line came through finally. Um, DeBrusque had a, like an amazing goal. Sean, um, oh, was it Sean Corelli? No, it was another guy. Oh, it was Connor Clifton. Had an amazing. Um, oh yeah. Has that, an amazing that goal. That two-two goal was yeah. a bomb, man. That was. Um, yeah. That was so. That was so cool. Yeah, that was nuts. Um, like pretty much, like it was like four to. Uh, yeah, it was four to it was two to I mean it was two to nothing after the second. Um, I'm mm-hmm. talking about game four, and then but like still the Bruins scored four unanswered points, uh, goals. Um, and they also outshot Carolina fifteen to nothing yeah. before the Canes got a strong goal, which of course yeah. they scored on. But still, the yeah. Canes didn't have any shots on goal during that four four goal barrage by Boston in that yeah. game. And then, um, and then, like, and then the rest of the series was kind of easy. Um, there was, like, obviously there was that Chara Sveshnikov altercation. Yeah. Um, I feel like that was just, like, it didn't look intentional to me, but I was also worried that it was also, it did kind of look like it was a slew foot of sorts. So I was thinking, like, that could be suspension worthy for Chara. So I was wor- worried about that, but. Um, obviously that also changed the series as well. Um, but it, you know, it was, um, it was tough to see that of course, but like, you know, at the same time, as I mentioned before, when I was talking about Carolina, it's like they lost Sveshnikov. Yes. And that, that hurt them a lot, but the Bruins didn't have Pasternak for three of those games and Tukarask, their Vezina level goalie, um, was also opting out in the middle. So like, it's not like it's that could you know it could go either way so i anyways enough with that um yeah it could have gone either way um and then we'll talk about the the lightning columbus five overtime game uh that was fantastic um and i I, then i saw that like you know columbus ended up winning after that um, and, uh, the, the next game after that, and I was like, okay, so maybe they're going to do the same thing as they did last year, but it's just not going to be a sweep. Um, but then it just turns out that Tampa just went into a second gear after that and, 
Um, yeah. And it doesn't even this matter. This is the Tampa team yeah. that I was expecting to see yeah. last year. And the crazy thing about this Tampa team right now is they don't even have their their best player, I guess. Although, yeah, they don't have Stamkos. Yeah, and I mean, they, and they still won't when the series. Begins. Yeah, right, right. I mean, I guess Kucherov's kind of their best player, but like, they, like he's a he's a big part of their team, obviously. Stamkos. Yeah, I would say Stamkos is their best goal scorer yeah. at least. Yeah, that that's that's fair to say. So, um, so that's impressive. But, um, so yeah, I think um, as for this series. It looks like Pasternak's going to be back, but Stamkos is not. Um, I could see... Um, I feel like this is going to be... Uh, every game's going to be very tough, and I could see it going either way. Um, however, it's so hard for me to not pick the Bruins, um, and I am going to do that. I am I'm going to pick the Bruins in seven... But I have a feeling you're going to say Tampa in seven. Um, and then also, uh, before I let you go, um, I should say that uh, we did find out what tu- why Tuca left the bubble. I mean, he was missing his family. But in particular, apparently his wife called him um, the day before and said that his, you know, that their daughter had an emergency, a medical emergency. So he had to go back to Boston and um, and take care of that. So it was truly a family emergency and it wasn't just that he, uh, he was weak enough and missed his family. It was like an actual family reason. Um, so yeah. Um, I, I think the daughter's okay. So, but like, we hope the daughter's okay. I don't know if we know exactly what went wrong with the daughter, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was I was hoping everything was was okay and that he was dismissing his family, but uh, it, it appears it was more than that. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, we're we're hoping for the best, and uh, again, completely understand uh, why Tugan made the decision that he did. Uh, meantime, uh, there is a series to be played here, um, and uh, Tampa's been very familiar with the Boston Bruins game plan. Um, if you look at their playoff history, Montreal, Washington, and New Jersey have faced Tampa Bay three times in the playoffs. At the end of this series, the Bruins will join those two teams. And in, if fuck out Tampa, these guys would have met in round two of 2019 as well. They met in round two of 2018. Uh, the Bruins uh, lost that series, and Tampa went to the conference finals. This time around, once again, a trip to the Eastern Conference Finals is going to be on the line. And um, there was, was there, there was another time, I think, uh, oh yeah, 2011 Eastern Conference Finals, the Bruins uh, won that in seven games and they won the Stanley Cup. That was the first time they met back when Dwayne Rolison was the goaltender of the Tampa Bay Lightning to give you a sense of how long ago 2011 is. Um, These two teams have played tense games with each other. this year, um, there was a particular game a few weeks before the NHL was put on pause. Um, it was at the TD Garden. The play was blown dead late in period two because the goal judge signaled a goal for Boston. Uh, we heard the horn clear as day on the broadcast, but one thing led to another, and all of a sudden, a line roll appears. Yeah. And uh, Tampa did end up winning that game, but um, just goes to show you how heated things can get between these two rivals. Uh, Tampa took three or four means against the Bruins during the regular season. And um, 
I think ultimately from a special teams point of view, um, the best plan of attack is stay out of the box because both of these teams uh, love to score in the power play uh, during the regular season. Uh, Boston's power play against Tampa converted on 28.6% of their chances over those four games. The bad news for them is Tampa was clicking at around 30% on the power play against Boston, so any kind of edge the Bruins had in that category was quickly wiped away. Uh, the Bruins did have a clear advantage in shots, though. They outshot Tampa by an average of 34.8 to 28.3 during that four-game stretch. You would think if the Bruins continue to do that in the playoffs, they're going to get some fortunate bounces and maybe a couple of serious leads in this best of seven. Mm -hmm. uh, so taking a look at some trends, uh, as you mentioned, Brett, the series against Carolina, very, very close. Four of the five games decided by a goal. Um, Bergeron scored a pair of game winners, as typical Patrice Bergeron would do. Um, we mentioned them battling back from a two-goal deficit in game four. 3-0 with Tuka Rask out of the bubble. Yara Holak wasn't outstanding, but when called upon, he made the saves when he had to. And that's ultimately what you expect out of your goaltender and can't ask for anything more than just make the timely saves. Yeah. Uh, Tampa Bay has shown plenty of resolve. As we mentioned, there was the 5 OT marathon in game one. Braden Point won that. Game five uh, ended up being the series clincher. Braden Point won that in overtime as well. Prior to that, in order to get it to overtime, they had to battle back from a 4-2 deficit. Sorelli scored in the final minute to force OT. So um, they were able to uh, battle back uh, from some adversity and uh, snatch victory from the jaws of defeat. And it also in that series, four or five games decided by a single goal, and Tampa got the upper hand in pretty much all of them. So it's, uh, it's going to be tough. Uh, to determine a winner, I think ultimately Tampa's depth is going to be the Bruins' undoing. I do not think they will take this in seven. I think they will take it in six. Yeah. Okay. I see. I see how it is. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, but, hey, the good news is I picked Carolina I know, I and the Bruins won, so maybe it's a good omen. You you're know? right, you're right. Yeah, what do you mean? Maybe, maybe this is how it has to be. I just have to pick the Bruins to lose no. one time and they win. Yeah, maybe. I could be hoping you just, You don't it could know. be. We'll see, yeah. No, that's a good point. Um, yeah, well, it was interesting, too, because I got a bit of... I mean, I guess I was one of the people, too, because I was, like, <laughs> during the middle, I was like, okay, Carolina's going to win this series because, you know, um, yeah. Tuka Rask well, isn't the right way. We don't have Pasternak. Um, but, and like, that's just how close yeah. the playoffs is, right? Yeah. No, I know. Like, but like, like look at the Calgary series no, against Dallas. Dallas could have been down 3-1 to one if yeah. Pavelski doesn't tie that game. I and will they end up winning the series in six games. So, like, that's yeah. how pivotal every game is. It can change the series drastically. Yeah. I will say, though, I did enjoy, because you weren't the only one who picked Carolina in the series, but I did enjoy seeing all the, like, uh, apparently, like, everyone on ESPN picked Carolina in seven or Carolina in six. And um, a lot of the people at the Athletic also picked Carolina in six or seven. Um, so I was just like, it did give me kind of like, um, okay, like keep doubting us. You know, I've, I, I got the under, like I haven't felt like an underdog as a Bruins fan in so long that I like, I, I have that it's mojo It's very now. rare that it's, it's the only team to get a hundred points in a yeah. season. Which I feel like, like an underdog. underdog. 
I feel like an underdog, honestly, right now. We don't have yeah, Tuca. Right. We don't. We don't have Tuca here. Um, also, before we go to the next series, I do want to shout out David Krejci. Um, he is the man. He like he was all over the place. Um, I think we've talked about it before um, when back when we were doing like game recaps for the Bruins, but like David Krejci never gets the respect that he deserves. And I think it's because you have Bergeron on the team because um, he gets all the accolades, um, and you know he's uh, obviously he's like the best two way forward of all time. So it's like yeah. when you have him on the team, uh, but Krejci is probably. Hey, over the years, Krejci has been the most consistent player and the most healthy at the same time. It's just, it's not his fault that Patrice Bergeron's also on the team. And um, he's like, you know, Bergeron's a legend at this point. But like, if you, but and it's also not his fault that like, we've been trying to get a winger for him forever. Um, and, um, and he hasn't been the same, like, he, like, Lucic helped Ginla when he was on the team for a season. That also was good. They were a good tandem together, too. But, um, but like, ever since Ginla left, we haven't found a legitimate right winger for him. And it looks like Andre Cache could be that guy. Uh, Jacob, Jake DeBrusque is a bit inconsistent, but um, he, is, he is better than all the other guys that we have. Um not name Brad Marchand in terms on the left side. So, um, so like, even still, it's like he's, he's, he's one of the best two ways, uh, two second line centers in the league. It's just that, um, we don't hear about him much because he's not as flashy as like the Pasternak's, the Marchands and the Bergeron's. Um, but yeah, he's also a very good player. Um, so I, I, have like, there was even talk about him getting his number retired. Um, and at first I was, I was thinking like, no, but then I'm, you know, after I started to think about it, it's like, well, he is really good in the playoffs. Um, he has been one of our most consistent players for a decade. Um, so yeah, I, I would be for getting his number retired. I know Bergeron and Chara are definitely getting their number retired. Marshawn's definitely there too. So, uh, yeah, why not Kreich? Let's 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 get his number retired um, after the season's um, after his career's done. Um, it's not like anyone's gonna come around and be a better number forty six than true. him, right? Yeah, it's not even that common of a number. That's another good point too. It's not like number nine or anything. <laughs> Right, right, right. That's that's a good point too. It's like forty six. It's like all right, let's let's retire the numbers. I guess the only thing is, is like pretty like if you retire so many guys, it's just it's it's like you're going to be like the Yankees where they have like twenty ish people <laughs> numbers retired. <laughs> Don't have any single tensions. Yeah, pretty much. but at the same time, it's just like Bergeron's already up there as like one of the best Bruins in the franchise history. Same with Chara, and um. And even Marshawn. Uh, Pasternak needs a few more seasons. I feel like he'll eventually get there, though. Um, but, like, it's like, yeah, let's... <laughs> why not Krejci? Let's, let's, let's get him in there. It's not like the Bruins have, like, retired as many jersey numbers as the Canadians. True. And, um, and it's also, like, speaking of which, it's like, they do have Terry O'Reilly in the rafters, and Terry O'Reilly does, like, you know, he is a Bruins player, obviously, but... 
Like, when you compare Terry O'Reilly's numbers to Krejci's numbers, like, Krejci, like, uh, beats him um, in, in almost every category. Um, so, uh, that's, like, if that's the barometer, um, you can, uh, yeah, for sure he, uh, it, it makes sense that uh, Krejci should have his number retired. Um, anyways, it's, it's a weird debate, but it's like, okay, fine, let's, let's, let's do it. Um, all right, now we're going to talk about the Vegas and Vancouver series. Um, it actually, I mean, it was, it, it was an interesting series even before all this stuff about Fleury and his Twitter stuff, but, but, um, but I have here that we have Robin Leonard versus Jacob Markstrom the tale of the two pending UFA goalies. Um, and, uh, yeah, they both have been phenomenal. Um, Vancouver is kind of like now like the underdog team. They're the only Canadian team left. Um, <laughs> they're Canadian. There's Canada's team. I like this bunch of people back. Uh, like I like this team better than the 2011 squad. Also, I never thought I would say this, but thank you, Vancouver, for vanquishing St. Louis. Um, Elias Pettersson has 13 points in 10 games. Uh, Quinn Hughes and JT Miller also have a point per game. Uh, Bo Horvat had his moments. Uh, he has six goals um, in 10 games. Um, and yeah, and then on the other side of the goaltending front, uh, Jacob Marstrom, he was, he was okay against, um, what was it? it was against, uh, the wild, but, uh, he kind of picked it up, picked up his game during, uh, during the St. Louis series. He had a nine twenty nine. Yeah, I would argue game five and game six, he was yeah. particularly impressive. He, he's back to his, uh, Vezina self, or he should have gone to Vezina if he didn't get hurt. Um, and yeah, he was he was very solid. He has a nine twenty nine save percentage and a GAA of two point four four. So I feel like they're going to be back there. Um, and then as for Vegas, um, we'll get to their goaltending situation in a second. Uh, Mark Stone, um, uh, yeah, he's been incredible. Um, I, I I don't want to twist the blade into your back. Steve on that, so I, I won't no, do that. I'm going to be getting at some point a Mark Stone <laughs> Vegas jersey. It's going to happen. I love Mark Stone. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Riley Smith's also been good. Uh, they both have eight points in eight games during this playoffs. Um, and then you have Jonathan March. So Shea Theodore is kind of like a coming out party for him, although I guess he was always pretty good to begin with, even back in Anaheim. Um, yeah, and... Now we get to the goaltending situation, and then I'll, I'll bring it to you about uh, the predictions. So, Alan Walsh, who's Mark andre Fleury's agent, he, um, he uh, tweeted a Photoshop of Fleury with a knife sticked in his back, and then the, the knife said, uh, DeBoer, on, on the blade. Um, and... Um, he, he didn't say anything else. Uh, that's all he said. Um, and I guess this is the, the allusion to Robin Leonard uh, getting more starts than Marc-Andre Fleury is right now. Um, and I, um, and like when I first saw it, like first off, I, I thought 
I didn't understand it really because I didn't even see the blade because someone had just showed me the, a picture of it and I was just like, oh, okay. I guess he's just he's just doing that. But um, after I, I started to realize, okay, so this is definitely an intentional thing. Um, Mark andre Fleury said today, so this was yesterday, but today he said that he, first off, he talked to a DeBoer and Leonard, um, and they and they're both good, both in good spirits. Um, but uh, just moreover, that he told Alan Walsh's agent that he does like the agent, but he sometimes gets carried away. So he told um, Alan Walsh to take it down, and he didn't. Well, really, you, you remember yeah. that uh, game between Boston and Dallas? I'm pretty sure. Um, Roman Polak got hurt, and Jack Edwards made a comment about Polak, and um, or I don't know if it was online, so he he had it coming, but it was yeah, it um it was it was a it was a comment that definitely um, triggered Alan Walsh to respond on Twitter, and I yeah. I think he called Jack Edwards like garbage or something. Yeah, Alan but, Walsh has uh, a history yeah, of this. That's he's, true. He's, he's not afraid to speak his mind. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I forgot about that. Alan Walsh is kind of a... I forgot that he's kind of a crazy person when it comes to that. But um, <laughs> I wouldn't say crazy, yeah. just super passionate. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Or he, he takes to Twitter pretty quickly. Yeah, like um, you, yeah. I, I would say he's yeah. the most outspoken hockey agent that I see on Twitter. Yeah, for sure. Um, and uh, so, yeah, Flurry told Alan Walsh to take it down. Um, and then also... Yeah, so then he talked to um, both Leonard and stuff, and he also said that he just didn't want to be a distraction uh, for the team, and his main goal is just to win the cup, and if that means he'll be the backup, he'll be the backup. Uh, this is very reminiscent of the time in um, in Pittsburgh when Marc-Andre Fleury and Matt Murray, and Matt Murray kind of stole the starting gig um, in Pittsburgh uh, during these playoffs um, so, so I know what he said and, uh, when he was asked about it in the, um, through a video press conference, he kind of avoided the question even. So I know he told Alan Walsh to take it down and he's saying all the right things, but there's, there is that other side of me that's thinking like, he's definitely still, he's, he's annoyed by everything. Um, so yeah, like yeah. I'm, I'm shocked that he didn't know like right away that yeah. Alan Walsh had tweeted that, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. I, I'm I'm kind of shocked it took this right. long to take it down. Or like Alan Walsh should like you would have to think that Alan Walsh told Flurry that he's going to post this thing because that's like I I mean I don't know how often you play with Photoshop. That's like that's a about an hour and an hour and a half work of. Actually, it was pretty well good. Done. Like it was very, very realistic. So, like, very, very detailed. And, and yeah. like, it, like you would have to think as the agent, whatever yeah. you tweet out is going to look bad on your client. Right. And like, so like the point is, is like he had so much time while he was doing this Photoshop to actually like think about like, do I actually want to tweet this? Yes, I do. I do, I do want to tweet it's this. Too late. Is it too late to fall back on this? Yeah, it's like, no, I already spent so many hours. I have to put this out, you know? It's so, a cool, funny picture. You yeah. know, it needs to be more light. It is, it is a pretty good picture as a graphic yeah, designer. I, I have to say, say it is, yeah. 
you know, if, yep. if it wasn't, you know, going to generate controversy. I, I know, I know. I will say that. Um, and then uh, I'll bring it to you on your thoughts um, in a second. But I do want to mention yeah. Greg Wyshynski's tweet, who brought up a pretty good point. So um, I'm just going to quote uh, what Greg Wyshynski says of ESPN. Um, the more I think about Marc-Andre Fleury, the more I come back to GM Kelly McCrimmon's saying at the trade deadline, it all re- um, if anything happened to Marc-Andre Fleury, we weren't strong enough to win playoff games if we get to that point. Um, I think Fleury comes to the bubble believing it's his crease and Leonard was the insurance policy. I don't think that's promised him, but I think it's been communicated to him. Then they give Leonard six out of the eight starts. Um, there's analyst, analytic justification that Leonard should be the guy, no doubt, but I can sympathize with Flower. They gave him the con- that contract. They said they made a trade to upgrade Subban, not to bench Flurry. The way I, this played out in the bubble, no less, has to be crushing. So, like, yeah, it is definitely a, um interesting situation, because I, I had forgotten about that, too, where... Like, they get Leonard, and it was kind of an odd move because I was thinking, like, okay, they still have Flurry, and he is a starter there, but I guess in this league, you kind of need two, uh, two goaltenders now. And, um, yeah, so I think, yeah, it's, it's definitely, um, um, so, but that, that's also a good point, too, is, like, yeah, I think they're, like, I know... I know Flurry says like it's not a big deal, and you know my 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 agent's crazy. Just blame it on the agent, but it, I don't know. I, I I can see why Flower would be angry. So I'll leave this to you, and then you can go straight to your predictions. Yeah. So um, just, I I actually dug into a bit of Mark Andre Flurry's history with Vancouver and Robin Leonard's as well. So uh, Flurry has gone six zero and two against Vancouver since joining Vegas. By the way, Vegas in ten career meetings against Vancouver never lost in regulation. They've gone eight no eight zero and two. Flurry is six zero and two against them uh, since joining the Golden Knights. Two point four two GAA and a nine sixteen save percentage with one shutout and one assist during that span. Even had time to get on the score sheet. Lucky guy. Uh, the yeah. Canucks averaged 26.87 shots on goal per game with Flurry standing in Vegas's crease. Over his career, Flower has gone 12, 2, and 2 in 16 starts with a 2.75 GAA and a decent 907 save percentage, facing an average of 28.75 shots per contest. Pretty good resume. Also hasn't lost to Vancouver in 14 years. But as you know about Canucks and past history, they don't care. They're uh, pretty good at uh, bucking the trends lately. Uh, meantime, you look at Robin Leonard's resume. Pretty short because he's never really faced them in the Western Conference setting like Flurry has in a couple of years, so they don't have as much of a playbook on him. Uh, never faced the, the Vegas Golden Knights in the playoffs before in one regular season game this year. The Canucks assaulted him six times on 36 shots, and Leonard took the loss. But over his career, Robin is 2-3-0 against... Vancouver with a 2.40 GAA and a pretty stellar 922 state percentage. And he's faced an average of 27.7 shots per game, lifetime against the Canucks. And uh, prior to this season, Leonard played for the Sens, Sabres, and Islanders. So that's basically all they have on this guy. So if you look at uh, Fleury and the San Jose series last year, he had 2.70 GAA and a 909 state percentage over seven games. As we all know, 
DeBoer was the coach of the Sharks back then. Yeah. And he faced close to 33 shots per game. There were some overtime games mixed in between. So Pierre DeBoer probably knows enough about Flower, probably knows where he's vulnerable. And the Canucks were able to pick apart the tandem of Bennington and Allen pretty quickly in that recent six-game series in St. Louis. And St. Louis is not a division rival of theirs uh, to begin with. So you can dispute if the Blues tandem was good enough, but at the end of the day, Vancouver has a pretty good roster and they're very tough to contain. They're tough to predict. So I am giving the edge to Leonard because I think the Blackhawks in that series, um, in that round one series, they had a game plan to be in because a lot of the guys, um, he was suiting up, um, he was suiting up prior to the trade deadline. He was suiting up with them. For the first 50 to 60% of the regular season, he was a Chicago Blackhawk. They took shots on practice every single day against Robin Leonard. They kind of understood uh, his weak points. And even still, Leonard looked pretty decent. He stopped 19 of 20 shots in game one, 22 of 25 in game two. Uh, in game four, he got out dueled by Crawford, but stopped 22 of 24. And then in game five, shots the board with 23 saves on 26 shots. So overall, he goes three and one in that series, stopped 86 of 95. Prior to that loss, he had never lost a game with the Vegas Golden Knights. So the way I see it, if you start Marc-Andre Fleury and your guys go down to nothing and you put all the pressure on Robin Leonard, the Canucks don't have a playbook on him. I feel like it's better to go to Leonard, a guy that the Canucks haven't seen enough of. And if he struggles, you go to the guy who they can't buy a win against and maybe see if that turns the series around. And he has made it very, very clear he's going to utilize both of his goalies. And I think Peter DeBoer is trying to outcoach Travis Green before the season starts. Yeah. And he's trying to make sure that Vancouver doesn't have much of a playbook on their goaltender. And I would think they would have more of a playbook on Flurry because Green has coached the Canucks for... I think it's like two, three seasons now, and Fleury's been there the entire time. He's probably seen enough of Fleury. The Canucks have seen enough of him um, to know where to beat him, but they might not have the best idea of how to solve Robin Leonard. So he's trying to maybe deceive the Canucks a little bit, which if you look at their coaching tactics against St. Louis, um, Travis Green put out... um, put out a lineup um, prior, I think it was during the warm-ups or prior to warm-ups and then quickly changed them at game time. And he did this to not only um, keep keep the coaches guessing, but unintentionally keep the social media team guessing because the Canucks Twitter account tweeted out what ended up being the wrong lineup. And what Oh, the main change that uh, Travis Green made is in game five, he put Peterson centering a line with Peterson and Vertanen on the lineup card that the Canucks Twitter account released. Peterson was with JT Miller and Brock Besser, but Brock Besser and JT Miller were with Bo Horvat. So now Craig Berube is just thinking, hmm. Do I put Ryan O'Reilly up against the Horvat, Besser, and Miller line, or do I put him up against Elias Peterson? Yeah. So Travis Green likes to play that coaching game. So I think 
Pierre DeBoer is trying to get one step ahead of him. So I definitely think coaching is going to be a factor. I think goaltending is going to be a factor. Ultimately, I think Vegas is going to have the better depth. Um, Alex Tuck has really got it rolling. William Carlson is at Vancouver's number. So is Max Patch ready too. Um, I like Vegas' odds. I'm not a gambling man, but I'm pretty confident Vegas is going to win this series. It'll take six games. It wouldn't shock me if Vancouver won this series. Mm-hmm. Um, but I expect Vegas to win in six games. Yeah, there is something to, like, last series for, like, it's it's still so impressive that Elias Pedersen was allowed, like, he still had, like, um, he had a great series um, last um, against the Blues, and he was primarily faced up against uh, Ryan O'Reilly, who's one of the best two-way guys in the league, so, um, so yeah, it's, um, and then, and now he's, like, he's probably going to be on the same ice when Mark Stone's in the game. So it's like you're, I mean, I know they, they play different positions, but still it's like Mark Stone's also really good defensively as well. So uh, that is something to take into account. Um, however, I feel like, like I really, I am rooting for Vancouver, um, but I, I feel like v- Vegas is way too strong for this. Um, Especially if Mark Stone, Riley Smith, Shea Theodore, Jonathan Marcheseau, they all are on top of their games like they have been. Um, I, 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 I just I can't I can't pick Vancouver even though I wouldn't be surprised if Vancouver wins. But I I, I already picked uh, Vegas in my Stanley Cup Finals, so I'm gonna stick with that. I'm gonna say Vegas in seven um, as well. But um, I am rooting for the other, uh, for Vancouver to win. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised because they, they look like a completely different team in the bubble than what they did in the, the regular season. Um, and that's a good thing because they look pretty good in the regular season too. Yeah, and, and their power play, it, key, yeah. key for Vegas, just don't take any penalties because yeah. uh, – in the two games where St. Louis won, Vancouver's power play went 0 for 10. But yeah. in the games where um, the St. Louis Blues lost the four games, I believe Vancouver went 7 for 13 or something like that. Especially in the first two games, Vancouver was like 5 for 9 on the power play. So, like, don't even tempt the Canucks to score in special teams. It'll it'll cost you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we'll see. Um, all right, let's go to the Dallas and, um, Colorado series. I'm actually looking forward to this, uh, series. Uh, I think Dallas won me over after watching them play a bit, um, the last couple of games. Uh, I think it has something to do with the fact that they're, they're now scoring, um, because usually they, you know, they have... This is the score yeah. depth we expected exactly. at the beginning of the year. Yeah, and it's it's just they, like, we, we knew that they had the goaltending. They have Miro Heiskanen. They had John Klingberg. But, like... Miro Heiskanen, by yeah. the way, has 13 points in 10 games. Yeah. And, and Klingberg has eight points in nine games, which is not yeah, bad. Yeah, top, top three scores. Right? And, then, and then you see, like, Jamie Benn had a disappointing season... Joe Pavelski had a disappointing season. Tyler Sagan had a disappointing season. 
and like the only twenty goal, uh, the only player who had twenty goals in the regular season was um, was Denis Garyanov, and you're like, is that going to be consistent? But meanwhile, <laughs> Garyanov had uh, four goals um, in the clinching game against uh, uh, Calgary um, and one assist. Um, I mean. That was another one for Calgary where, like, they didn't have Matthew Kachucks, and so that, that kind of, uh, that's kind of a tough, a tough break for Calgary there, but even yeah, still. Just watching yeah. Kachuk's reaction as Dallas was scoring, yeah. he, the, the guy couldn't, they couldn't yeah. bear to watch the rest of it. And I mean, and to be fair, like, Cam Talbot and David Riddick, like, haven't shown to be consistent, um, so, like, it was just it was a matter of when it, they were all all the hell was going to break loose for them um not a matter of like why this is happening or when is this going to happen so um so yeah and uh so yeah I, i'm I, I i like this team now i'm i'm on the i'm on the Dallas Stars bandwagon um, it, it reminds me back to my childhood of Mike Modano and Brett Hull because I used to follow that team back before I was a huge Bruins fan. So I think I'm back on the Dallas Stars team now. Bandwagon, I should say, because I did take a break from from being a fan of theirs. But um, but yeah, if they can show what they've been able to show now, I, I think um, they're going to be pretty good. Um, and um, I guess the bigger question mark, though, is like Ben Bishop and um, and Anton Kudobin. Um, I think Ben Bishop is injured, but Kudobin's been pretty good in his absence. I mean, he was pretty good in yeah. the regular season too. But yeah, like the first yeah. game in the Colorado series, like in the first yeah. period, he made some monster right. saves to keep his team in front. Yeah, and and then as for Colorado, well, first off, Grubauer. Um, uh, it looks like he got injured by a Garyanov shot, um, and it was kind of. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was a groin strain. It was yeah. a reaggravation of sorts. And it was it was crazy because I had saw like I was watching this live and with the sound on. Sometimes I have it on mute, but um, like I, I I was watching it and like it, it felt so weird like having no fans during that time because. It made it seem even more serious because, like, literally, no, and like the announcers weren't talking either, so it's like it felt like this was a serious thing. But then you're, I mean, it was a serious injury. Don't get me wrong. It was just like, but like it added to that moment where you're like, but, oh, like, there were other this is actually like, injuries yeah. that that would just lead the audience in total shock. This was yeah. just like a guy who just like stretches out his leg, yeah. just pulls the groin and. And it's right. just down for a couple minutes. Not like he got concussed or anything. No, no, no. So, um, so now the Avalanche are gonna rely on Pavel Francouz for at least um, a little while. We don't know the latest on Grubauer, but I think we saw that he's not gonna be available for Game Two. Um, but Francouz was pretty good in the regular season. Um, he went 21 and seven with a GA of 2.41 and a save percentage of 9.23. Like Colorado was injured, injury ridden the whole year. So this is just adding to that. Um, also Eric Johnson, uh, was injured, although it doesn't like, I think he was back for the third. Um, he was just on the bench. 
so maybe it's not as serious, but he may not play a ton, but that's that definitely hurts them in, like a, in the shutdown role that he plays. Um, but I still feel like that's not going to matter like too much because they still have Nathan McKinnon, they still have Miko Rantanen, they still have Nazem Kadri, um, which was a great trade for them in retrospect. Um, he has 12 points in nine games, but McKinnon has 16 points in nine games. Um, so, um, I feel like they're now the, 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 the league, the, like, everyone's, fa- like, favorite now to win the Stanley Cup, and they do look impressive, um, however, I'm gonna be contrarian, he- oh, actually, I shouldn't go with my predictions, I'm gonna go to you, um, before I say my predictions, I almost forgot uh, so uh, Colorado and Dallas have faced each other a fair amount before. Uh, they have faced Detroit six times in all-time playoff history, so that's the most they faced a team, and we all know how um, tense that rivalry has been. Um, but this is the fifth time they have faced Dallas uh, since the move from Quebec to the Mile High City. Uh, in 1999 and 2000, those teams, by the way, had Patrick Waugh, Peter Forsberg, and Joe Sackick, so those teams were tough to beat. The Stars edged the Avs both times to win the Western Conference title and have aimed straight to the Stanley Cup Finals. Dallas won it all in 1999, but didn't win it thanks to New Jersey back in 2000. Um, and um, this battle was dormant for a bit, rekindled in 2004, continued in 2006. The Avalanche won both of those matchups, so all time it's a 2-2 two and two series. Uh, and this time around, a trip to the Western Conference Finals will be on the line, which... It's pretty good for um, either Dallas or Colorado, considering where Dallas was, um, you know, missing the playoffs, relying on offense, not that big on defense as much as they are now. And then you look at Colorado and where they were a couple of years ago. And in 2017, when the expansion draft happened, the rhetoric around that team wasn't nearly as positive as it is now. To have one of those teams going to the final four uh i'm sure is is great for the nhl and just a great reminder of of how quickly things can change for the better and uh, this colorado team is very very deep very very potent offense for dallas to contain uh kale mccarr of course is a beast um eric johnson one of the best complete defensemen unfortunately he's hurt as well uh but nikita sadorov is a big shutdown guy for them ryan graves has emerged as one of the league's best shot blockers this season, so they still have him. Andre Burakovsky had eight points entering round two. Uh, Jonas Donskoy and JT Confer both had six entering round two. Sam Girard uh, had four points prior to game one of the Dallas series. He now is six after uh, game one. Uh, Matt Calvert, when he played, he's put up three points. Matt yeah. Nieto, two points. Uh, the only guys that haven't put up a single point are Valerie Nachushkin, former Dallas star, and Ian Cole. So uh, both are, are are pretty solid, both teams uh, from top to bottom. They have a lot of goal-scoring depth, which is great. Nazem Kadri, though, on another level. Amazing what he can do when he's not on the Leafs and not suspended. Uh, 33 shots. This is entering uh, the Dallas series. 33 shots, the same amount as Nathan McKinnon. Nate has averaged 20 minutes and 10 seconds per game entering round two. Nassim Kadri averaged 17 minutes, 37 seconds. So not nearly as amount, uh, not nearly the amount of ice time that McKinnon had, but still getting a lot of shots on goal. 
and he scored six times in his first eight games, also at five and fifth, giving him a total of 11 points. The second best scorer on the Avalanche, not Miko Rantanen, not from Kadri. And yeah, you can argue, well, Nathan McKinnon, everyone's watching Nathan McKinnon that opens the door for Kadri. Yeah, so what? Nassim Kadri has 11 points entering round two. That's what they expected, right. and that's what they want to see. Um, one thing I, I is interesting to note about the Avalanche is their goals tend to come in bunches. Um, they were scoreless in game one against Arizona, but they quickly turned up the heat midway through period three. They got three goals in a span of a minute, 23 seconds. They outshot Arizona 40-14 to 14 in that game. Uh, then we go to game four, seven to one win for Colorado, scoreless over the first 14 minutes and seven seconds, but the Avs get three goals in a span of 5:32, and first period ends, they're up three nothing to begin the final period of play. They score twice in the first two minutes, 57 seconds. At that point, there's no point in, re- in return for Arizona. In game five, it's more of the same. They're up three nothing after 20 minutes. And um, in both of those games, game four and five against Arizona, Kadri was doing a lot of the early damage. So if you can limit Colorado's chances and you can control their momentum swings, they're definitely beatable. Another way you can stop their offense, don't give them any power plays. Um, Their power play against Arizona was lethal. It's been lethal all season long, even with all their injuries. And you look at the amount of power play chances they had in game one against the stars just one and they didn't score on it so if dallas can keep that up uh i definitely like their chances especially when you consider the fact that i would argue arizona's defense probably doesn't stack up as well as dallas's does you look at dallas they have a big guy in jimmy alexiak he's like six foot seven or something they have andre sakira as well they Sorry. <laughs> that was Papa Bats, aren't they great? Yeah, uh, I'm sorry, Yeah, guys. so like I, like I said, uh, Dallas, you know, has a lot of big, tall defensemen that are tough to go around. Um, and yeah, maybe Nathan McKinnon can just sneak around everybody. He can't do that old series. Um, so at, at some point, um, the Avalanche are going to meet their match if they're not careful. And the Stars can map them punch for punch. If their scoring depth continues, uh, Rupe hints first to the playoffs. He, people forget he's still there. Um, you know, Dallas is, is going to make it uh, very challenging. Um, one thing that they need to clean up compared to the last series, shorthanded goals against. I believe the Flames scored four shorthanded goals. Three of them were by Tobias Reader alone. Yeah. If you give Colorado a chance to score, even strength, power play, shorthanded, doesn't matter. Um, all they need is one goal to slowly turn the tide against you. So um, I think this series is going to go seven games, but I, I trust the Avalanche will have enough offensive depth. Doesn't matter if Grubauer is hurt. Doesn't matter if Eric Johnson misses time. They've been injured all year. It hasn't stopped them. And I don't think it'll stop them in this series. I'm taking the Avs in seven games. Okay. I So I feel like I'm going to go contrarian here. I... I, it kind of changes things. Before the playoffs, I would have said that Colorado in five or six. Um, but after seeing that Dallas, Dallas looks like a different team. And this was even before the first game when Dallas won. Um, mm-hmm. 
but I like I I know that uh, Colorado's scary and um, and obviously this Grubauer situation may not be ideal, but still Frankus is um, is going to be a, a good player for them or a good goaltender for them. So it's not like. Um, so yeah, I I could see it um, both ways, and I could be like way way off, and it's like Colorado in five or something like that. But but, um, but you yeah. like uh, you like how the momentum is yeah. favoring Dallas. I do. I think because they have uh, they're now scoring a lot. They they're getting depth scoring with Garyanov and Pavelski. Now Sagan yeah. and Ben are scoring again, um, like they were supposed to. Um, Rupe Hintz is in, like, they're, they're, uh, a fun team to watch now. Miro Heiskanen has turned on to his second gear. By the way, this is, like, the 2017 defenseman, um, matchup because it's Kale McCarr and Heiskanen who win, uh, oh, two yeah, and three. Oh, yeah, right. Uh, or there's three and four. Yeah, three and four in 2017, so, um, so there's that, that as well, but, um, so yeah, I think Dallas could actually do this, and uh, but I I'm I'm prepared to eat my words um, <laughs> if this happens. So I'm gonna go with Dallas in seven. Okay, so you you, you think it'll take seven games? Or I do, okay, but I but I think the shocker here is that I picked Dallas because I think a lot of people are picking Colorado to win this whole thing. So. I will say there's this playoff pool that uh, that I'm in, yep. and I'm pretty sure every single person has picked the Avs to win. Yeah, same. Well, I'm also in this playoff. I'm also in a playoff pool. Uh, there's about well, first off, there are a bunch of Canucks fans in this one. Um, <laughs> so, um, so I have fun with that because I just I just show some like Marshawn gifts and they all go crazy. Um, <laughs> But there are about, uh, I think there are 12 people in this pool. Um, I am yeah, I one. Yeah, I think there's like eight yeah. or nine in my pool. Let me just double check. There are, yeah, there are 13, oh, there's, I'm oh, sorry, there's uh, 15 people in this pool. Oh, wow, that's yeah. amazing um, I, uh, so we have, uh, uh, I'm one of two of 15 to have Dallas uh, winning this series. Someone went bold uh, so enough. So you're in the small minority. Okay. I'm in the small minority in this playoff pool here, um, and I. Um, but I have Dallas in seven. The other person who picked Dallas had them winning in five, which is, which is even crazier. <laughs> yeah, I um, don't think they're that good. No, I don't think they're that good. But um, I do. I do. I think I have Dallas in this thing because uh, I. I like what I've been seeing of them. I was. I wasn't as excited about them before, but I think that like what I've seen out of them now in this series, I'm I'm like all for, and I'm back in it uh, with them. So, so yeah, um, yeah. I think I think I, I will make a prediction right now and say one of the teams that the majority of people expected to advance will not. I think there's going to be a team yeah. that we did not expect to reach the conference finals. Well, wait that. I mean, all, all four I, I, of these matchups are going to be pretty close. So which, which yeah. do we? <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like I feel like the Islanders or Stars or Canucks uh, in okay. particular, like 
I would say Tampa and Boston like are in the same playing field. I wouldn't I wouldn't consider them like yeah. to be one of the teams that oh we didn't expect them to be in the conference finals. But yeah. like one of the underdog tales were like, yeah, you know, maybe they could be, but they probably won't be. Like yeah. one of those one of those teams like uh, Vancouver, um, the Islanders, and uh, the, the Stars okay. um, are probably going to one of those teams. Yeah. Um, kind of not really shock the hockey world, but kind of. Yeah. Just, just like, wow, they they beat so and so. I did not expect that. Yeah, I know what you mean. Tampa and Boston are like 50-50, but I think the other ones are They're basically are more... the same team. Yeah, yeah. The other ones, the other series, it, it does seem like it's going to sway one way or the other. Um, I will say, though, that, like, because um, I'm looking at everyone's picks here, uh, there were about uh, s- uh, six people picked New York to beat Philadelphia. Um, mm-hmm. So... I thought that was a little interesting, but... Did anyone pick a sweep? I'm curious. Uh, let me see. Um, no. I would think if anyone picked a sweep, it would probably be Vegas, Vegas or yeah. Vancouver. We had, um, yeah, no one picked a sweep, but we do have Vegas in five, a lot picked Colorado in five, and then you have the mm-hmm. Dallas in five. Oh, you also have New York in five, but yeah, no, no in four. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I was a, we, we, yeah. had, we had no sweeps in round one. We had a lot of yeah. games that went five games only. I know. No sweeps. I was kind of sad though because there was no game sevens. Um, I thought there was yeah. a, I thought there was a potential for the Vancouver St. Louis one or the Dallas Calgary one, but um, yeah. I it just didn't happen. So um, yeah. It's unfortunate Columbus and Tampa didn't go seven. That would have been for a fun sure. ending. But. That would have been fun. All right, let's let's go. Um, our, um, our t- Twitter, or, or you can catch us on SoundCloud and iTunes and Spotify. Our Twitter is Lace Up Podcast. Our Facebook is Lace Them Up. That's about it. I'm Brett Duboff. I'm Steve Elser. We'll talk again in episode 234 of the Lace Them Up Podcast. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>